the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, on your part, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that also you have a master in heaven. Verse 2. Be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in your prayer life, being both alert and intent in your praying with thanksgiving. Verse 3. And at the same time, pray for us also that God may open a door for us For the word, the gospel, to proclaim the mystery concerning Christ, the Messiah, on account of which I am in prison. That, verse 4, that I may proclaim it fully and make it clear, seek boldly and unfold the mystery, as is my duty. Now, in verse 1, obviously Paul's not endorsing slavery, but he's dealing with the reality of the time and era that he's living in. And there are masters of slaves in the congregation, Colossians' own slaves. And it was a common practice at the time. But here's the thing. Slaves had no rights. They were property. That's what they were. And as property, the owner could dispose of them as he chose. He could do whatever he wanted with them. But here, Paul reminds those who own slaves that we don't operate from our humanity. That we live out of our identity in Christ, and in Christ there are no slaves. There are no slaves. We are all equal. So what is he saying here? He reminds them, he says at the top, he says, treat them fairly, treat them justly, treat them, in fact, as an equal. Now you talk about stepping out of the worldly paradigm, that would be quite a task for a master to turn around and treat his, his slaves as though they had rights. It would be a total reversal of how he understood a slave was to be treated. You know, in today's environment, many of us take on jobs. And when we take those jobs on, it's all about what that job's going to give us for what we have to give it. Now, it would be unheard of for you to reverse the paradigm and say, I work as unto the Lord, and I will give you my whole heart in terms of the way I work. I will put everything into it that the Lord will allow me to put into it. 
I will go beyond. You want me to fill out three forms, I'll fill out six forms. You want me to be there at 6.30, I'll be there at 5.30. It just go ahead and above and beyond. That would be totally out of the paradigm. And the first thing you'd want to know, well, if I get there early, are you going to pay me for that? If I do an extra bit of work, are you going to pay me for that? Well, I realize there's unscrupulous employers, and you would say to me, if I put all that in there, I would never get compensated for it, and they just take advantage of me. Oh, I see. They're God, are they? They're God? Where's your compensation coming from? Who is your provision? Who's protecting you? Who keeps you from becoming a victim? He does. And if you do become a victim, it's him that nurtures you. The bottom line is this. We operate from a different paradigm, a heavenly one. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from factional motives, through contentious strife, selfishness, or unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, whoa, lowliness of mind, let each regard the other as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourself. You know what? You can't do that and be critical, can you? You can't do that and slander each other, can you? It says, So masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, as is the heart of our Lord. This is not WWJD. Okay? This is living out the character of Christ, which is abiding in the vine or living as a branch. What Paul's telling these slave owners is that you are to live in the awareness of your relationship with the Lord first. That's your first awareness. That's your first recognition. And you live in the context and the purpose of Christ is your life. What does that mean? That means that I look at everything in the context that Christ is my life. I look at my home in the context that Christ is my life. I look at my children in the context that Christ is my life. Everything that I have to give and everything that I am to derive from every relationship and every circumstances of my life will not be full to me, will not be a blessing to me, unless I realize and recognize it in the context of Christ is my life. And in terms of purpose, context and purpose, you have purpose. You have purpose because you're a child of God, and a child of God is never without purpose. He lives and moves and has his being in Christ. The purpose, the context, is Jesus. We do not order our behavior or our values according to the world. We live out of the plan of God and his purpose in every moment. Our purpose is not in this flesh. It's in who he is. Now, moving to verse 2, Paul is now going to disciple them in what prayer is. Paul's going to teach them how to pray. He's discipling the Colossians on how to pray. And what is prayer? Well, if we're going to talk about how we live out this life, if we're going to talk about how we affirm who we are in Christ, if we're going to talk about what makes it real for us, prayer is our greatest resource. It is our greatest resource. Verse 2, Be earnest, unwearied, and steadfast in your prayer life, being both alert and intent in your praying with thanksgiving. Be earnest, and unwearied, and steadfast. 
Now, think of an earnest expression of two lovers and their desire to capture each other in a conversation, never wanting the connection to be severed, never wanting the conversation to be in. They're hanging on each other's words. They are literally enraptured in each other's talking. Now, it doesn't mean they're saying anything really worth listening to. In fact, if you were monitoring the conversation, which some parents have done, you would be absolutely nauseated. But the truth is that all they really want to do is connect with each other, commune with each other. That is the ultimate desire. In fact, if you've had teenagers, you know how sickening it can actually be. You hang up. No. You hang up. No. You hang up first. No. You hang up first. It goes on and on and on. And even in that, there's a connection. It's about keeping that communion in place. Well, listen, folks. That is what... Prayer, steadfast, earnest prayer is about. It is you determining to keep that connection. It doesn't mean God goes away when you stop praying. It doesn't mean that He loses interest and starts watching TV. It does mean that He is ever listening. He is ever involved. And when you communicate with Him, you recognize His involvement. You recognize His presence. That's what prayer does. And it must be earnest. Listen, when you're in love and and the other one calls, you notice they don't really have to have a relevant topic prepared for you to have a discussion. They don't have to write out their words. They don't have to spend the day watching CNN or a documentary so they'll have something relevant to talk to you about. They, They don't. As a matter of fact, all it is is just listening to one another breathe is what it comes down to. It's communion. It's really just about communion. There is an affirmation of your relationship when you're talking. There is a renewing of your mutual desire to be with one another in that conversation. It's not perfunctory. It is an expression of the heart. The Greek word there means to be earnest towards, to persevere, to persist, and to persist obstinately in the task. Now, that would imply some resistance, wouldn't it? That there might be some resistance. Well, is there? Of course there is. Well, I'm sure God's surprised by that. No, He's not. The bottom line is this, that the world, the enemy, the flesh, whatever enemy you want to name, is vying for your focus. They don't care what it is, what the focus is, as long as it's not Jesus. It can be anything. And it's just amazing to me how many things it can be. And as if we didn't have enough, now we've got the smartphones. We've got, I love this, the iPhone and the iPad and all of these other things that absolutely consume our focus. So that we're all involved in the eye, as if we needed any help. The truth is that whatever God can bring us to in terms of bringing us into relationship, the reality of that relationship with Himself, He will allow in your life just to break off the distraction. If I want to get your attention... Even if you are tied up in something, it doesn't matter how tied up you are, you could be absolutely focused on what your neighbor is doing right this minute. All i got to do is walk up and step on your toe, and I'll have your attention. 
Well, you know what? God doesn't go around stomping toes, but He'll sure let the enemy do it. He sure will. He'll allow the enemy to come in and stomp on your toe. And when you do, you go, Ow, Lord! Lord! Calling out to Him. Bringing Him online all of a sudden. The God that wasn't as important is now very important. Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, there are a lot of distractions. And those distractions are all about keeping you from seeing the truth. Prayer is a focus. The practice of recognizing that you're in the vine. It's a communion. And you will always have other things to do. I have never knelt to pray that I didn't have other things to do. You know, I've, I have literally gone out in the middle of nowhere to pray. Got out there and found something to do. I mean, haven't you? has that ever happened to you? There's always something else to do. It requires a determination, a focus. Prayer is the practice of recognizing that you are on the vine, that you are in communion. It's a conscious communion with your Lord. That's what it is. It's there, but it's, it's apprehending it. It's being conscious of it. It is communicating with it. You know, one of the things that the enemy continually does, and you see this in church all the time, and I've done it, that's the reason I can bear witness to it, is that somebody will come up and share something with you and they say, oh, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. Oh, yeah, I'll pray about that. But you know what? I understand the heart behind it. But really, when you recognize the deception that's involved in that, let me tell you what that is. Immediately, you say, you know what? When I get home tonight and I get the kids in bed, then I'm going to have a prayer time. And I'll remember, I'll remember brother so-and-so. Now, let me ask you a question. If my wife and I were going to take a long trip together somewhere, let's say it's eight hours. We're going to be in the car together alone. We're driving, and I turn to her and I say, you know, when you and I get along, we need to talk. Does that make any sense? Why does it make any sense? Because I'm with her. I'm in her presence. You know, when prayer requests come your way, you're in the presence of God right there. Lift your heart and your mind to Him. Recognize that He's there. And that is prayer. Bring it before the Father now. You don't have to have that special time. The biggest detriment to prayer is our perception of how the real saints do it. Well, you know, Brother So-and-so has such a great prayer life. He gets up at four in the morning and prays. You know what? I had a few kids. And if I expected every one of my kids to come and speak to me in King James formal English, and they could only speak to me at, at early morning and at noon and evening, what kind of relationship would I be fostering? That wouldn't be a relationship. It would be a religion, wouldn't it? And would I expect my five-year-old to talk like my 12-year-old? And would I expect the girls to have the same resonance and depth as the, and timbre as the voice of the boys? You see, we're all different. We're all different. But why are we different? Because that's the way the Father made us. And when we approach Him, we don't approach Him like anybody else does. Get over the guilt trip about the brother that you've seen who can pray with such eloquence, who can pray with such great depth. Get over the guilt trip. Because the bottom line is that prayer is the natural expression of who you are. And your Father receives it. And you know what? 
it's, I know that voice. It's my child, Todd. That's one thing I loved. I could have six of my kids in the room and one of them cry out and I know exactly who it was. I know exactly who it was. I don't pray like you do. I don't know that it's longer. I don't know that it's more eloquent. I just know that I pray the way God made me. I'm his child. We lose so much in our perceptions. Our Lord knows what we speak and the truth of our need and our desires before we speak it. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, And when you pray, do not heap up phrases, multiply words, repeating the same ones over and over again as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We come and share our hearts with God in the recognition that we are dependent on Him, but we do not direct God. Okay? We do not direct God. Let me tell you something. I'll just speak for myself. Mike Wells used to say this. I don't have the IQ to direct God. Do you? I just don't have it. We don't direct God. He's the shepherd. And you don't see the shepherd calling the sheep in for consultation. We follow. And in prayer, it's receiving as much as it is speaking. It's communion. That requires an interchange, doesn't it? The intent is not to change the mind of God, but to come to peace with the will of God. In prayer, we find peace with what God allows and what God prevents and what God denies. Prayer is the recognition of an intimate relationship with the Father that is not dependent upon the time, the place, or the posture. It's just dependent on you recognizing His presence. It's meant to be intimate. It doesn't have to be verbal, but it can be. Call out to Him, and it'll help you, or it might not, but it helps me just to call Him Father. I'm in an intimate relationship, the most intimate relationship that I have ever been in. I don't have any concept to really how deep that relationship is. But it's so deep, there won't even be marriage in heaven. I lift up my hands to Him and I say, Father, and the Word says, Abba. It's an intimate Word. It's an intimate connection. And so when I say to Him, Father, it's not, a, it's not one of these liturgical prayers. It's me as His child calling out to Him. It doesn't have to be deep. It just has to be real. It has to be life. That's how we live it out, guys. And we walk in that recognition that He is with us and we pray. And prayer is the recognition of an intimate relationship with Him. Prayer is, is a recognition that He is our Father. You know, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, He says, And because you really are His sons, God has sent the Holy Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Listen, listen to the words in that verse. And the Amplified blows it up. But he says, He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And the word picture there, crying, is Him running through the center of your soul yelling, Abba, 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 Abba! It's a passionate call. It is full of passion and it is full of devotion and commitment. That's an ugly word, isn't it? It's full of the desire of someone who recognizes his total dependency and 
how that dependency is met with unconditional love. We all know we're dependent on God. But do we know that dependency is really the big hole through which God pours His great love for us? It really is. When we call out to Father, we're calling out to the One who loves us most and loves us best. Prayer is a lifestyle. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Be unceasing in prayer. Pray perseveringly. And this speaks of a lifestyle of recognition. Not uninterrupted speaking, but recognition. I can't get uninterrupted speaking. Can you? Can you pray 24-7? Well, if I had the voice or even the mind to do it, I, could, I, I don't know that I could get it done. I'd be asleep half the time. Not uninterrupted speaking to God, but the constant awareness of His presence and making it real by communing with Him. Did any of you see the movie Fiddler on the Roof? How many of you have seen that? I love that movie. But one of the things I love most is the father. I think his name's Tivia. Is it Tivia? Tivia? I love the fact that everything with him is a discourse between him and God. He doesn't encounter anything by himself. Everything he encounters, it's like, you know, it's like this. It's like when my wife and I will go somewhere and somebody will ask a question that I would know the answer to and she wouldn't. Though they're looking at her, she turns and looks at me. Well, that's kind of the picture you get there. That everything that comes to him, he just kind of goes like this. Okay, what? You know, what you going to do? Here we are, what you going to do? Well, listen, that is the picture of constant communion with your father, recognizing his presence. That is you, as you go through the day, running into this, running into that, turning and saying, okay. I know you're here. It's okay. I know you're here. What do you have for me here? I want to know you in this. I want to know you in this. And you know what? The way, that path, how He trains us in that. He trains us by allowing us to see our need first. And all through the day, we keep running into situations that are too big, too huge. But does that mean that we were sufficient before we ran into them? No. No. You see, the, the way I've learned, the way God has taught me is that I start out the day and I get busy with this thing and then I bump into something and I say, Oh, you're here. I love you. What do you have for me? And then suddenly the, the, I look at my gas gauge and I need to pull over and get gas. I pull over and get gas and I get distracted by a conversation. This goes on, that goes on. I start thinking about the bills I have to pay and how am I going to make this happen and that happen and where's my... And all this stuff, you know, all these distractions are going through my mind. And then suddenly I feel this sense of despair because I don't know where it's all going. And suddenly I say, oh, you're here. You've got this. What do you want? I give you my life. I want to walk with you. You see, all day long, it's that constant coming back to recognizing, you're here. Your presence is about me. Your life is within me. It's coming from truths that don't end in truth. Recognizing He is here. I lost my job. Truth. But I need to recognize the truth. He is my provision. Truth. I don't have what it takes to love an enemy, the truth, he is love. 
unconditional love. In every need, there is the call to recognize Him. And prayer is you literally owning the truth of Him being there. It's a determination to live in His presence. A determined devotion to a Christ-centered context and purpose. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, All of these, with their minds in full agreement, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Look at that. We devote ourselves to prayer. As a way of life, we devote ourselves to prayer. This is not something that God imposes on us. But it is the blessed invitation to dwell in the counsel of God, to receive spiritual nurture, to recognize that His presence and in His presence is everything that I need. That's what it is. And as we devote ourselves to prayer, it is simply this. Me starting out the day and saying, Father, I am, I am a child and I am easily drawn away, easily distracted. You are the shepherd. Bring your presence back to me. Let me see your presence in everything around me. Let me walk in the truth that you are here and that you never leave me. Let me know you in everything that I experience. Father, let's do this day together. And I know I'm going to get distracted. And I know I'm going to fail. The cool thing is, is he does too. (laughs) And it's not a problem for him. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to his life in every situation. Rest in his life moment by moment and receive from his life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.